We'll be reading from Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, Grace family. Thanks for joining us in worship this morning. I'm excited to open up God's word with you. So if you have a Bible near you, open up to Matthew chapter 20. And if I can make a request, if you can grab a a paper or leatherback Bible and actually open that, not just pull out your phone, I think it really would help you. If you're like me, you've probably spent too much time on your phone these last couple weeks. And probably all of us need to be reminded of what it's like to hold God's word in our hands and read it for ourselves. If you don't have a Bible like this, I'd love to send you one. Uh, just email me at bob at gracesealbeach.org, and I'd be happy to mail you a copy of the scriptures that you can have as a gift from our church. Well, let me tell you a story. Imagine that there are two employees who go to their boss, and they start to try to butter him up. And this uh, boss is starting a new company, and these two are in on the ground floor, and they think that they deserve something special as a result of that. And so they go to their boss, and they tell him what a great leader he is, what a great boss he is, how they believe in the vision of the company he's set forth, how they really think that he's going to take them to remarkable places, how they are sure that their careers are going to take off as a result of being tied to him. Once they buttered him up enough, they drop the ask on him and they say, when we go public, and I'm sure we will because you're such a great leader, can I be the CEO? And can I be the CFO? The other one asks. Now, if you're wondering what's remarkable about a story like that, It's only in how unremarkable it is. In fact, that's how business normally is, at least until last week. We assume that we need to butter up people who have more authority, and we need to grab what we want before other people do. We act as if this is just the way of the world, and there's no alternative to it. But as we're going to see in our passage today, Jesus says that his kingdom shouldn't be like this. That what it means to be the people of God is not to clutch and grab at the expense of others, but to serve on behalf of others. To be a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus, is going to be to be marked as a servant of all. And if you want to be great, if you want to be a leader in the people of Christ, you need to be even to the point of serving to the point of a slave. Now, Jesus' first disciples don't get this, and to give them credit, we wouldn't either. In fact, so often this isn't our experience of life or of the church, is it? All of us have had bad leaders, maybe bad parents or uh, bad bosses who have given a very different picture of what it means to lead and to be led. And so all of us need to come to God's word together this morning to be reminded of what is true and what is good and the hope that we have. So let's get into the passage today in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 20. It begins with James and John sending their mom, a woman that this passage doesn't identify, but, but elsewhere we know her name is Salome. And she comes to Jesus with a request. When you come in your kingdom, can my two sons be the two most important people, the ones at your right and your left? This request, uh, while unremarkable, maybe from a human perspective, is remarkable from a perspective of following Jesus. She's doing the very thing that we're tempted to do, to clutch and to grab at power when we think that no one else has grabbed it yet. And what Jesus responds with 
is this warning that she doesn't understand the burden she's trying to take on herself or for her sons. See, all of us are moved by examples of servant leadership, and we're inherently disgusted by people who try to grab and cheat and steal. And Jesus responds to her in verse 22. You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. I love Jesus' response to these two disciples. He tells them, you don't understand the weight you are asking on yourself. Do you understand the, the cup that you're asking to drink? Now at this point, probably all these two brothers think that Jesus is talking about is the weight and responsibilities of leadership. And they think we can do the hard work of that. We can make the tough calls. We can be the leaders that the buck stops with. And don't get me wrong, the weight of leadership is heavy. And some of you guys are feeling that weight acutely this week. You're the boss of a company and trying to figure out your new business model in light of COVID-19 has been exhausting at best and crippling at worst. Or maybe you're a parent who now has not only become a parent, but also the teacher of your kids for the first time. And you're trying to figure out how to navigate life with them and the burden of leadership on your shoulders feels really heavy. And, and those weights are real and those burdens are heavy, but that's not actually what Jesus is warning them about. He's not saying, are you able to be the leaders with me? He says something important in his language. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? What is that cup language about? Well, it's not just a literal cup. He's, he's foreshadowing what he'll talk about at communion. When he holds up the cup at Passover and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many. When Jesus tells James and John that, are you able to drink the cup I'm going to drink? He's talking about his very death on the cross for our sins. They don't understand, and, and to their credit, how could they? What it would mean to truly be a leader. But Jesus is saying, you can't step into my shoes. I'm going to take on myself the sins of the world. This is the cup that it means to be the leader. I've been thinking this week as I thought about this passage and about how to communicate the weight of what Jesus is offering, about what it would be like if there was a person who could take on himself or on herself all of the COVID-19 virus out throughout the whole world and take it into their own person and remove it from the rest of us. How grateful we'd feel to that person, that they'd be willing to give up themselves, that they'd be able to give up themselves and take on the weight of this virus that is menacing the whole world. And yet what Jesus offers by taking on our sins is greater than that. It's not just the solution to a horrifying but phys temporary and physical problem. He's taking on himself an eternal problem, not just for one generation, but for every generation. And in so doing offers us not just physical well-being, but eternity for our souls. And so Jesus tells James and John, even if you were to drink that cup, even if you were to experience the weight and the pains of leadership, even if you were to experience them to the point of your own martyrdom, which James will experience in Acts chapter 12, or your exile, which John will experience and is explained in the book of Revelation, it won't put you in nearly the same category of what it means to be the Messiah. 
Now we could end the passage here and it would be a remarkable lesson in not trying to grab authority for ourselves. But Jesus is going to paint a positive picture of what it means to be a leader in his kingdom. Word gets out to the other disciples of what James and John have done and what their mom has done on their behalf and they become resentful. Maybe resentful that they thought to ask for this first. Maybe resentful that uh, Salome, which, which may have been a relative of Jesus' mother Mary, was trying to use her family advantages at their expense. But whatever the reason is, they become upset. And so Jesus calls everyone together in a family meeting and calls all of his disciples and gives them a picture of what positive Christian leadership should look like. It's described here in Matthew 20, in verse 25. Jesus called them and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Jesus gives this contrasting picture of what the world sees leadership as from what he sees leadership as. And he describes how the Gentiles are, in that word we might just say, the people other than the people of God, describe leadership. They describe leadership as a way to exercise authority over people, to put ourselves on the shoulders and backs of the people that we lead. Jesus says, you know how Gentiles treat leadership? As a zero-sum game where they take from the people that they lead. And maybe you've known leaders like that. Maybe you've had a boss who never gives you credit, but always gives you blame. Or maybe you've seen politicians like that, who never seem to be around when it's time to actually do hard work, but love to show up for the photo ops to take credit for things. Or maybe, and I hope this isn't the case, you've been in a family with someone like that. Maybe you've had parents who see you as an extension of their ego and want to just mold you into their image rather than finding out what's special about you. Or maybe you've had a spouse like this who sees you and uh, your career or your physical well-being only as an extension of what's in it for them. I hope that you don't experience leadership like this, but this is the way of the world. People using leadership as a way to get from rather than give to others. And Jesus says, this is not what it's meant to be like among my people. This, is what, this isn't what I would want for you either. I would want you to see what Jesus describes as leadership here and see its goodness and its joy. He tells them in verse, 20, in verse 26, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that the path to greatness in the kingdom of God is not marked by the person who has climbed the mountain, but by the one who is willing to help others. The path to greatness in the kingdom of God is not for the person who has clamored to the top, but the one who is willing to hold the ladder at the bottom. I, I'm so proud of so many of our leaders in this church and how they model servant leadership for me and for all of us. I love the way that our staff this week and so many of the age departments has served often at long hours in order to try to figure out a way to help serve you and serve you as you follow God in this challenging time. And I love the way our elders here really treat their servant leadership mantle as a servant first and a leader second. And I hope that you experience that and that you can encourage them in that. This is hopefully how Christians always see leadership. In Romans 1, you see that Paul adopts this as his mantle. When he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. That's how James describes himself. James, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ at the beginning of his epistle. 
Because all of us, even to the highest levels of Christian leadership, should mark ourselves as servants first and leaders second. Now, I, I admit, this is kind of an odd time to talk about servant leadership, isn't it? I mean, is there any leadership really happening in the midst of a crisis? We're all shut up at home. Is there any place really to even be leading? I mean, servant leadership is a topic that you should have in a big room with a lot of people around and a chance to start a new ministry or a new initiative. Who can start anything or lead anything when we're all stuck at home? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I think this is the time of all times where servant leadership is really going to be important and challenged. You and I have leadership opportunities in our home with the two people or one person or three people that we're living with. And if you can't serve them, how are you going to serve a large organization? If you can't serve the people that you're closest to, that you're living with, how can you serve a wider variety of people? You know, in the rule of St. Benedict, which has been a guide for monks in the Benedictine order for centuries, um, they have a rule that no abbot, that is the person who's in charge of the monastery, can lead more than 12 people. And their rationale when they wrote this was, if Jesus had 12 disciples and he limited himself to that, how can any of us think we could lead more people than that? You and I have an opportunity this week and these next who knows how many numbers of weeks in front of us to lead and to serve very small communities of people. Maybe just our spouse, maybe just our roommate, maybe just a couple siblings or a couple parents, maybe just one or two elderly uh, neighbors that we're trying to help go through this crisis. Maybe a very, very small circle of people that are around us. And we might be tempted in those moments to think, oh, that's not leadership. Oh, but that's a laboratory of leadership. This is the opportunity you have to grow as a servant leader. And who you become over these next six weeks or eight weeks or, Lord willing, it's not longer than that, can have ramifications in your soul for eternity. Now, on the alternative, you and I could curate in our heart over the next eight weeks an attitude that we exist to be served. We can, we can become bitter towards our family. We can become bitter towards political authorities. We can become bitter towards people in our life group or people at church that we're not being served the way that we want. And we can, like the Gentiles, start to lord it over other people and say, I've come to be served, not to serve. And Jesus says, oh, don't let this happen to you. What I would love for you at the end of this sequestering time, however long it lasts, is that you will be more ready to serve others and less prone to expect to be served at the end of it. And, and the reason I want that for you isn't just that Jesus exhorts us towards it, or that I think it's helpful to you, or that I think it'll make you a better husband or wife or father or child or mother or neighbor or roommate or friend, though, though I think that's all true. It's because that's actually the character of Jesus himself. Look at how Jesus roots this in his own identity. He says in verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? The reason I want you to be a servant leader is because I'm a servant leader. The reason I don't want you to think that this life is about you being served is because I didn't even think this life was about me being served. The reason that as my followers, I want you to be people who are quick to serve others is because how much you see that in my life. Now the objection sometimes comes as a result of this. And we say, look, if, if I just exist to serve other people, I'm going to lose a sense of who I am. 
I'm not even going to know who I am anymore. If I'm just always getting tossed back and forth by what my boyfriend wants or what my parents want or by what my kids expect of me, is there any me left at the end of that? And, and this is where your heart is going to be so important in this because that is a good objection. And we do all know people like that where we don't even know what they like because they just seem to adopt uh, their identity of the people around them. But look at Jesus. Consider the person of Jesus. Do you think that Jesus is someone whose identity was tossed back and forth? If Jesus' life is marked as a servant, someone who can give his life as a ransom for many, does he look like someone who's pushed all around? (laughs) No, no. To be a servant of all, you have to have a profound sense of who you are. You have to have a deep core sense of what of that you matter to God, that you are loved by God, that you know what your mission is, you know what your values are, and that anchor for your soul is what you are able to lead out of in order to serve other people. If you don't have that, you actually aren't serving anyone. You're just executing this transaction where you give up your personal sense of uh, who you are in exchange for other people giving that to you by telling you what they want from you. That's not what servant leadership is. Servant leadership is where you say, I know who I am. I know that I don't have anything left to prove because Jesus has accomplished everything needed for life and godliness on the cross. I I know that I don't have to climb to the top of the mountain because Christ went to the mountain of Calvary for me. I know I don't have to push people behind me because I'm not in a race against you. I'm able to serve and to give my life over because Christ has already given up his life for me. I, I hope that, um, as you've seen on Facebook, maybe on Instagram and other places, inspiring stories of people who have gone to great lengths of self-sacrifice during this crisis, and those have warmed your soul, that you see in those not just an inspiring picture of humanity, but a vision, a small microscopic vision of what Christ has done for you, that he has done for you what you could not do for yourself. He has found you in your desperation, in your death and sin and transgression, and lived the perfect life that you and I refuse to live and died the death that you and, I are des- that you and I deserve and in the process has given his life as a ransom for us. Likewise, I, I'm sure sometimes you've seen on Facebook stories that have disgusted you about human nature in these last couple weeks. Like, I don't know if you guys saw a story of that, uh, those two brothers who went around with a U-Haul when this whole COVID-19 thing started and they bought up every Walmart supply of Purell they could find in order to sell it at an extraordinary price-gouging profit on Amazon. And people reacted with anger at them, understandably, saying that they were taking advantage of this crisis to profit themselves. And the question would be, and, and I agree with that, the question would be, why is that such a bad thing? And I would say it's rooted in the nature of God himself, that he sent his son not to exhort or to extort us, but to give himself as a ransom for us. So here's what I want for you. I want you to practice being a servant leader this week in your home. I know that all of our worlds have shrunk, shrunk in a claustrophobic way sometimes in this stay-at-home mandate. But it is a laboratory for servant leadership. How can you serve the people you're living with? How can you serve the people that are living on your left and your right? Your world, like mine, has shrunk down to a much smaller part than it used to be. So it's an opportunity to really focus on what does it mean to serve the people around us? Not 
Not because you don't have other things to do, not because you don't have a sense of identity on your own, but because this is what Jesus is like, that he has served and given up his life for us. And if you grow in that, and I grow in that, and everyone in our church grows in that, what impact that can have for the kingdom for years to come through our church? What if eight weeks from now or 12 weeks from now, we come back together as a church of people who have grown in Christ-likeness in this way, who are more servant-hearted than we've ever been, and in that work together can therefore impact our community and our world for the Lord Jesus Christ? This is what I would want for you. So can I pray for you in this? Jesus, I thank you that you gave up your life for us, that you served us to the point even of giving up your life on the cross. God, we all have challenges this week of servant leadership. Challenges that are small but real for us and hard for us. They aren't going to the cross, but they are daily challenges of giving up our preferences for the sake of another. God, would you help us to learn the lesson that Philippians 2 talks about of considering others more significant than ourselves, of putting others' needs before our own. God, I pray for marriages in this time. Um, I pray that when we get on each other's nerves as married couples, that we will serve one another and put one another's needs first. I pray for kids who are watching this and students who are watching this, who are frustrated with their parents. God, would you give them a servant leader's attitude towards their parents? God, I pray for neighbors uh, and and for those maybe who feel really isolated right now. Would you help them not to, to insist on being served, but to serve even as Jesus himself did? And it's in his name we pray. Amen.